Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This show is sponsored by Drobo, a family of safe, expandable, yet simple to use storage arrays. Drobos are designed to protect your important data forever. Visit www.drobo.com to learn more. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 184, Galaxy's Child. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, I fire up the old Ken Tron 1000 and pretend to discuss an episode of Star Trek with the real Ken Ray, who I'm hoping to meet someday. He's dreamy. In the meantime, the Ken Tron 1000 and I look at the messages, morals, and meanings of a given episode of Star Trek and figure out whether it holds up as the years roll by. This week, Galaxy's Child, the one where the Enterprise delivers and re-delivers a space baby. And Jordy meets the real woman behind his holographic fantasies. In a moment, John will hit some episode-specific trivia, but first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love for you to do so. Our phone number is 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and pictures and comments and all kinds of things is missionlogpodcast.com and please do remember we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of mission log now i had said that in a moment you're going to do trivia but first we're going to talk about drobo i can't wait to talk about drobo okay <laughs> do you want me to start or do you want to start i want you to start ken okay all right Here, here's what i'll tell you about a drobo at its base and this is true for all of them uh, drobo is a great way to back up data Depending on which model you get, there's room for four or five drives in a Drobo. Now, one of those, at least, is going to be for backup. The other three or four can be for backup if you want them to be. That's up to you. So, like, if you're, I don't want to say paranoid, but if you're worried about your backup drive crapping out on you, that's okay. Because if you have a second one that's that's mirroring the first one, then one of those can die. You've still got all of your data backed up. But, again, it's up to you on how much... You want to devote to, um, you know, uh, protecting or backing up your data as opposed to using it for extra storage, which you can, of course, do as well. Now, there's this other really cool thing that all of the robos do, even down to the mini, that I think is really impressive. They've got this way to protect data that's in transit. So let's say you're using your drobo largely for, for, for storage that's not going to live on your computer. You've been working on an image, and it's great. And, and the image is going over to your Drobo, and that's fantastic. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you have a power failure. You haven't lost that data, even if it hasn't made it all the way to the drive in the Drobo, because they basically got a way to, 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 to catch it on the way in, in kind of like a cache and make sure that it stays there safe until power comes back on and it goes ahead and completes the transition. And, and it, it, it's that kind of... Uh, protection of data. It's that kind of attention to, you know, the different things that might happen or the different things that might go wrong uh, that, that make Drobo, uh, Drobo kind of cool from an operational side. Now, I'll just straight up call it magic. <laughs> you can do that if you want to. Now, you're yeah. huge. You're huge on uh, visual, physical uh, stuff you can touch kind of design. There's something about the yes. Drobo that, that really impresses you. So here's what's so cool. I, I've got the 5D, and um, it, it's a it's a good size but a compact unit. And what I love is that the the faceplate to get into the thing is magnetic. So you just sort of grab it and pull, and it pops right off. And you you're not you're not sort of forcing the the cover or anything like that. You're using no tools to get into it. Just pops right off, but it's nice and secure when it's on there. And then what you're faced with are all the drive bays for the unit. So I've got three two-terabyte drives in there right now, and I cannot tell you how easy it was to just push the drive in. There's a little latch, and I can 
slide over that latch to pull the drive right out. Could not be easier and no tools required at all. So the, the more I use it and actually could hot swap those drives, I can just keep going and going by popping that cover off and loading and removing drives. It is absolutely perfect in, in its design in that sense. And at the very least, on the on the sort of uh, consumer based models, you'll find that same sort of uh, that same sort of ease, like that magnetic front you're talking about. I uh, have the exact mm-hmm. same thing in my Drobo Mini. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're looking at those kinds of design cues and, and sort of workability um, across a lot of the line. And and again, John mentioned that 5D. I mentioned the Drobo Mini. There are a number of of sizes, uh, depending on what your uh, use case is going to be. Of course, with a number of sizes, there are a number of prices as well. But John, you actually have a, you actually have some news on the price. Yep, it gets even better because Mission Log listeners can save a hundred dollars off of their purchase of a Drobo 5D, a 5N, or any eight drive or twelve drive system at drobostore.com by using the discount code ML100. So you can save $100 off of your very own Drobo, drobostore.com, using the discount code ML100. Not to, not to correct you. I think you left out the Drobo Mini. That's, that, yeah. that's mine. I love the Drobo yeah. Mini. Look, if I one day start doing video stuff or something like that, or, you know, there may be a day where I'm going to need a bigger Drobo. For a lot of people, the Drobo Mini is a great way to get in because it just does fantastic on the backup thing. Um, and it'll like fit in your backpack. I mean, when I say it's mini, it really is mini. But I don't want to tell you that's the one you should get. What you should do is go to Drobo Store. Actually, go to Drobo.com to learn about the different models. And then go to DroboStore.com and uh, you know pick out the one that's right for you. And use offer code ML100 to get $100 off. And now, without further ado, it's time for John Champion's Trivia. Here we go, Ken. Today's episode, Galaxy's Child, was written by Thomas Cartosian. Well, he wrote the story, and Maurice Hurley wrote the teleplay. So let's talk about Cartosian first. He uh, wrote and created a TV series in 1980 about an all-male construction crew, except for one lady, called When the Whistle Blows, and it ran for one episode. Uh, <laughs> Wait, isn't When the Whistle Blows the name of the show in Ricky Gervais' Extras? Oh man, is it? I oh man, you might be right. I want to say that that was the sitcom he developed. That was all through season two of Extras. Yeah, are you having a laugh? <laughs> <laughs> is he having a laugh? Are you yeah. having a laugh? That's going to be <laughs> right. in my head for like a month now. Oh man. Yep. Yep. You're welcome. Um, now, after Star Trek, uh, Cartosian's only other professional writing credit is Frozen Assets, a comedy about a sperm bank, <laughs> starring Shelley Long and Corbin Burnson. And yes, this is a return for Maurice Hurley, uh, the next of the last time he will contribute to The Next Generation. Um, although Jerry Taylor and Ronald D. Moore gave this script a polish, they were not credited. It was directed by Wienrich Colby. We've talked about Colby's many contributions. We're about midway through his episode run on Next Generation, but then he'll be back for each of the remaining series for at least one episode, sometimes many more. Uh, just in case you were run, wondering, uh, Fungili, still not really a thing. <laughs> I think we talked about that before. And uh, the space creature. Now, this is neat. It's sort of a combination of effects. Uh, there was a fiberglass model built for many of the full-length shots, and there was a CGI model for most of the close-ups. If you're watching the Next Generation remastered episodes in HD, then you are seeing the original fiberglass model and the new but very painstakingly accurate CGI. That was necessary since the original resolution of those CG models would have been too low. Uh, But the new one gives more texture, more detail, and more realistic lighting. So about that fiberglass model, it was built by Tony Meininger. uh, Well, his real name, Frederick, but goes by Tony. Um, He has his own model and, well, he did actually have his own model and effects company in the early 80s. And he actually worked on the opening credit sequence of Next Generation. Uh, He would come back for more work on Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and he actually worked on the 1997 film Titanic. Uh, But the more CGI overtook traditional model building, he closed his company. So about that CGI, the CG for this episode was done by Rhythm and Hughes, 
a CGI effects company, which then went on to do work for Deep Space Nine and also worked on the effects for Star Trek The Experience. Uh, changing fortunes in a changing industry meant that after racking up just a huge number of effects credits in the 90s uh, and 2000s, everything from the Babe movies to Superman Returns, The Night at the Museum, X-Men First Class, and on and on and on, company filed for bankruptcy in 2012. You probably remember the attention around this when Life of Pi, a movie they provided the effects for, was nominated for an Academy Award while the company was going under. It was uh, kind of a controversial and uh, very sad moment for followers of cool special effects. Now, uh, in engineering in this episode, you can still see those little in-jokes in the Enterprise schematics. Uh, look for the duck, the airplane, the car, etc., all scattered throughout. Ken, we have brand new Jeffrey's tubes, because you can't have Star Trek without people crawling through tubes. And um, there was an in-joke hidden in the original engineering log details that Dr. Brahms accesses, uh, the last line of which read, Tonight on HBO. <laughs> but that was replaced with a new graphic. And uh, we also we have much more detailed reference to engineers of the past on the 1701D. Uh, McDougal, Lynch, and our old friend, Mr. Argyle. Oh, whatever <laughs> happened know. to him? You miss him, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about guest stars very briefly. Uh, Jana Marie Hupp as Ensign Pavlik in Engineering. Uh, you may have also seen her in Barton Fink uh, for episodes of Hunter, Doctor Doctor, Knots Landing. She will be back in track a little later as a different character. We also have Lene Chapman playing Ensign Rager at the helm. She also appeared in the show Space Above and Beyond, directed by Wienrich Kolbe. And she will make a handful more appearances in Next Generation. And finally, we have Susan Gibney back as Dr. Leah Brahms. We met her before. And uh, just as a reminder, Dr. Leah Brahms could have been back a third time, but the timing did not work out. She does come back for two more appearances, though, on Deep Space Nine, but as a different character. From the makers of Speak and Spell, and You Do Not Know Jack, it is the Kentron 1000. Talk Star Trek. Talk Apple. Talk Star Trek. Additional content coming soon. The Kentron 1000. Sure to break the ice at parties. Prologue. The Enterprise is doing its imitation of Planet Express, picking up science stuff at point A and taking it to point B. It'll also be hosting a ride-along this week, Dr. Leah Brahms. You remember Leah, or the holographic simulation of Leah built by Geordi to help them get out of the man-trap. It was the man-trap, right? Captain Picard tells Geordi that Leah wants to see his exemplary work on the Enterprise, the modifications he's made to the ship she helped design. Two more clueless individuals you're not likely to find on one screen. Geordi is excited that Leah's coming aboard. Really excited. Far too excited. The excitement continues in 10 Forward when Geordi tells Guinan how excited he is about Leah's arrival. Yes, he knows the Leah he knows was just a hologram, but she was built by the computer on knowledge of the real Dr. Brahms. Look, worst thing that happens, they'll be good friends. That does not seem likely when Dr. Brahms greets Geordi with the cold greeting... So you're the one who's fouled up my engine designs. Act 1. Dr. Brahms is walking Geordi around engineering, telling him everything he's done wrong. He's telling her why it's not wrong. You don't know what it's like on the streets. In space. Their bickering is interrupted by a message for Dr. Brahms. While she takes that, we'll go to the bridge, where the Enterprise is tracking an unidentified energy of some sort. They'll check it out. Aware that he's been striking out so far, Geordi's like, Dr. Brahms, why don't I show you around? Really let you see how I've screwed up, I mean modified your engines. She's receptive, and the tour begins. It's obvious that Geordi knows his stuff. Too much. He's made a modification that isn't supposed to happen until the next class of starships is built. Something he says he knows because, uh, you know, it just makes sense. Of course, he actually knows it from his dealings with hologram Leah Brahms. Things are getting tense again, and Geordi says, Why don't we knock it off for now and meet later to talk things over? Say, dinner? My place? I'll make your favorite! Which will be a total coincidence and not a planned thing because I'm your cyber stalker. Dinner it is. 
Back on the bridge, the crew has found the source of the unidentified energy. It's a form of life that's never been seen before. They'll move within a stone's throw of the thing, which arouses the thing's curiosity. Oh, look! It wants to be friends! At least that might be what coming towards us and shooting energy at us means. Captain Picard doesn't want to do anything to upset whatever it is, but the radiation levels are rising. When the ship cannot get away, Captain Picard is forced to fire on the life form. Minimum power, but minimum was too much. The Enterprise has killed the unidentified life form. Act 2. Captain Picard looks like he's about to quit. What just happened is exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to do. It's like the show open says, seek out new life and try not to kill it in the first five minutes. Counselor Troy assures the captain that he did everything by the book. What's more assuring, though, is the new energy reading they're getting from the alien being. We'll get back to that. Right now, time for Jordy and Leah's date. I mean, professional working dinner. Yeah, it's obvious. He thought it was a date. And they do start to have a bit of chemistry. Ironically, talking about engineering. She's not cold and humorless, and he gets that. She loves her work and feels a sense of ownership over Starship engines. And he gets that. She's just not comfortable with people. And Jordy says... Maybe you haven't met the right people. And Leah Brahms beats a hasty path out of Geordi's quarters. Back on the bridge, the energy form in the life form isn't the life form itself. It's more like a smaller energy reading inside it. The thing the ship fired upon was basically an expectant mother, protecting its unborn. Act 3. You know this thing they never come across before? They're going to try to save the unborn young one through a great big space C-section. Worf's like, remember how the parent almost killed us? We should leave whatever it is, where it is, and get going. Thanks, says the captain, but we made this problem. We need to fix it. In engineering, the brahms LaForge tour of Geordi's modifications continues. She goes from being annoyed to impressed. And the ice between the two starts again to melt. She's so impressed with one of his modifications that she suggests he write it up for publication. He says writing's not his strong suit, but maybe they could write it up together since writing is a strong suit of hers. Okay, look, you seem to know a lot about me, says Dr. Brahms. A lot. Geordi confesses he's sort of studied her. Her writings, her work, and... Yeah, okay, he likes her. Like, likes her. Wow. You know everything else about me. You didn't know I'm married? On the bridge, time for a galactic C-section. Congratulations! It's a... thing. Geordi's back in 10 Ford, complaining this time about Leah Brahms. She's cold, she's possessive of her work, and get this, Guinan, she's married. Guinan tells Geordi that it's his fault. He had this holodeck-infused fantasy, and then the real Leah waltzes in and has the audacity to be... Real. Back on the bridge, the baby thing seems fine, and the Enterprise is happy to leave this newborn by the side of the planet, apparently cool not knowing whether it knows how to survive. The ship goes to continue on its way, but the only moving thing in the baby's field of vision is the Enterprise. It seems to have imprinted on the ship. It's following the Enterprise. Also, it's hungry. To satisfy its hunger, it's latched onto the Enterprise and is feeding off the ship's energy. Act 4. This thing is guzzling Enterprise energy. Engineering has stabilized the drain, but that'll only hold for a few hours. Dr. Brahms says they may be able to squeeze a little more time and energy out of the engines. Data says they may be able to figure out where the mother was headed and take the baby there. As for how to get the thing off the hull, Dr. Brahms says it's almost completely covering Shuttle Bay 2. Decompress that, and it might just blow the thing off. Everybody know what we're doing? Okay. Leah and Geordi are talking over modifications they might make to buy time and energy. Turns out Geordi's already implemented some of the suggestions that she has. Does he have, like, a record of every modification he's made? He says it's on the computer. Then he has to head to the bridge. Pouring over Geordi's work, Leah seems impressed. But she needs to see it. Oh, here's Geordi's hologram program. It is at this moment that you will begin screaming at the television or whatever you're watching, please, someone stop her from going to the holodeck and seeing what Geordi has done. Your cries for help will go unanswered. Geordi runs into the holodeck and catches real Leah watching holodeck Leah from an old episode of Next Gen. The part where the holodeck Leah says, every time you touch this engine, you're touching me. 
Jordy says it's not as creepy as it seems, though oddly, Dr. Brahms disagrees. She's outraged. She has been invaded, violated. She wants to know how far this has gone, though Jordy says it really was a professional collaboration. Come to think of it, Jordy says he should be mad at her. He's been nice. He's been patient. His crime? He offered her friendship. Let's check in on the space thing. It's growing like a weed and still draining the ship's energy. Data has figured out where it was headed. Some asteroid belt. Data thinks it could feed there. Cool. Let's blow it off the back of the ship and get out of here. Only the decompression trick doesn't work. If anything, the space thing is dug in harder. It's sucking more power and it's... Whining? Emitting a high-pitched radio transmission. Now Data is picking up similar radio transmissions coming from the asteroid belt. Oh, look! Three more of the big ones! Headed right for the ship! And there's almost no power left for weapons. Act 5. Dr. Brahms has an idea on how to get the baby thing off the ship's back. What if they make the energy unpalatable? Geordi's right there with her. Change its resonance, or frequency, or smell, or something. Technobabble, technobabble! It just might work. And it does. The baby thing swims off to the adult things, the Enterprise leaves, and Jordy and Leah are talking over old times in 10 Ford. <laughs> Remember that time you found the creepy hologram I made of you? That was funny. Leah apologizes for the way she behaved when she came aboard, and Jordy says he's just glad he got to know her. The real her. The two are on the verge of a comfortable silence when a message comes in for Dr. Brahms. That'll be her husband. She needs to take this, leaving Jordy alone. The end. And that's how he'll spend the rest of his life. <laughs> Wait, too dark? Too dark? Quite possibly. I okay. don't know. It's uh, mid or too soon, maybe, because we don't know how things soon. are going to go. There's we plenty don't. of time for Leah Brahms to come back. Look, mm -hmm. he started to make some headway there. I'm not saying that he should try to break up her marriage. I'm saying... <laughs> You know, anything can happen. So you're saying there's a chance. I'm saying there's a <laughs> chance. I am, I am saying that by the end of the episode, I thought there might be a chance. Whether there should be or not, we can maybe talk about a little bit later. I think we might. I got to say, I had a hard time not putting this in the recap, but I felt like the recap was a little too flip. But mm -hmm. I can't let it pass without saying Galactic C-Section mm -hmm. is my Jefferson Starship cover band. Oh, so perfect. Yeah, I, think, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I love that idea. Love I that. feel pretty good about it. Sadly, yeah. I only know two Jefferson Starship. Well, I know one Jefferson Airplane and one Jefferson Starship. That's all anybody really needs to know, actually. Well, it's yeah. all most people do. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it might be okay. I know what two the, those are, by the way. Oh, wait, so. three. Yeah? Oh, okay. Well, well then I'll, you I'll tell you, it, it's Sarah, it's, it's White Rabbit, and, mm -hmm. of course, it's We Built the City. Yeah. Because you couldn't escape that song when we were kids. Yeah. No, no matter how hard you tried. See, Sarah was the, the, the third one that I did not know. But, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I figured it, that would be the yeah. one. All right. Uh, it's a short set for the cover band. Um, all right. Data <laughs> Data says, um, and you said it, we've never seen anything like this before. This Come weird to. thing, <laughs> except for that time with Ten Man and, yeah. and, and maybe that other time with uh, the giant amoeba and the immunity syndrome and, yeah. and, and all the other times, you know. Otherwise, no. I no, honestly, no. I did not. I did not remember uh, the whole Galaxy's Child part of it. I really thought that they had come across Gamtu again. It kind of looks that way from a distance. From a distance, yeah, yeah which is, of course, how we start. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I, it, it is an interesting idea to kind of think about that a, a creature could evolve in the emptiness of space into mm -hmm. a thing that, that has some emotional response, physical response, movement, you know, all these abilities. I, I don't know how that would happen, but sure, interesting idea in the vacuum of space with no gravity to hold anything together. But very cool idea. <laughs> very cool idea. Well, now, in fairness, though, it actually tends to congregate, feed, live around an asteroid belt, which I know we've talked about whether or not asteroid belts on television look anything like what asteroid belts actually would look like. But right, right. the asteroids would actually have a bit of gravity. A little right? bit, yeah. I mean, not, a, not a tremendous amount, but yeah. it's not like it's not like, you know, it was born. I mean, I guess it was born in a vacuum, but mm -hmm. I don't know. If only we knew some science people that might be able to answer that question. Maybe one day, John. Maybe, maybe one, one day. day. Yeah. Uh, Leah Brahms. What's mm -hmm. her name again? Uh, Susan Gibney. Yes. Uh, have Kirstie Alley, 
and half Lilith Stern and Crane, not mm. half BB Newworth. No. I honestly thought she was more Lilith Crane in this episode than BB Newworth was in the last episode. Well, there was something. Yeah. 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 I liked her a lot. Hmm. I liked her a lot in this episode, mm-hmm. but I always had a thing for Kirstie Alley and for BB Newworth and for Lilith Crane. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. It really makes sense that I would have a thing for her in this. Well, for sure, there's something much more complex about her meeting her for real. Yeah, meeting the holodeck version of her. So Why should pretty, that be? It, well, that's pretty great for the for the actor to be able to play. That the, yeah. there are a lot more facets to the character than just the the short introduction we were given to her. Um, I was really pleased to see in Jordy's quarters. Uh, first of all, nice uh, casual off duty wear for him, um, mm-hmm. but uh, soft jazz still exists in the future. Yeah. Um, and then so does Brahms, of course, and so does classical guitar, of course, because everything in the future is classical. This is kind of the conversation that we started to have a few episodes ago, um, but then didn't really clarify or go all the way with that conversation uh, that it was brought up to me that, you know, where are the artists who are creating new things? Because we always mm-hmm. reference something from the past. And in this case, it's Jordy just turning in, tuning into, you know, light radio of the 1980s. <laughs> I just put on soft jazz i don't know what soft jazz is because i'm 300 years removed from it but just put on some soft jazz um i also wondered if jordy was going to cook or was he going to replicate who was the woman oh who was the woman that uh, Riker ended up killing you know there have been a few utah yes wasn't you now was utah going to cook or did Riker not have her program the replicator to make him something nice i'm given to understand that there's there's a little it's not cooking in the in the you know emerald agassi you know bam you know kind of paladine start with a pound of butter yeah you know cooking but i'm given to understand that any idiot can program scrambled eggs well, but it really, unless you're it really, Riker and you make well, no, terrible eggs. You yeah. would make them, right. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'm given to understand that there's a little artistry in how you program the stuff. Sort of like a good coder, maybe. Okay, that, that's know? an interesting idea. See, I, I got the impression that Yuto was going to cook based on the ingredients that Riker would replicate. So he would no. say, like, okay, uh, replicate, you know, a half a stick of butter, replicate <laughs> some flour, replicate that, and okay. now you get to cooking. It's kind of, actually, you said it's not like Emerald Lagasse, but I do remember a show that uh, Tony Bourdain uh, hosted one time, and he was in India, and he had been Mm -hmm. invited to this just fabulous palace, just incredible-looking place, and it was some very wealthy, uh, you know, like a royal family or, or, you know, some government official, just incredibly wealthy, and he was going to cook a traditional dish for Tony Bourdain. And what I loved about it is they spent the whole time sitting outside in this incredible location and basically everything who worked for this guy brought him all the ingredients pre-prepared like (laughs) pre-chopped ready to go so he literally just sat there they would bring him something like oh these are onions here i'll throw these in the big pot and now we're cooking onions you know so you literally had to do nothing except combine foods and then watch them cook that's i think that's a great way to cook and that that's how replicating uh, cooking in the future, I think will work. Maybe that's the way to go. All right. Um, on Jordy's table, space mm-hmm. napkins. I hope you notice yeah. those. Uh, but I'm against it. You're against space napkins? Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely against space napkins. I'm okay with a space fork, space spoon, space glass. I'm okay with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you've ever been to prom, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> LeMay is not like the softest fabric. No. And, and you no. don't want to wipe your mouth with anything with sequins on it either. No, no. I'm again space napkins. Good linen napkins. That's yeah. what you want in space. Yeah, space Go for the napkins, classics. Yeah, space napkins would be hard to clean. They would also be uh, just yeah difficult to use. Um, yeah, we didn't see space forks, but we did see space spoons. Yeah, so that that was you know good to see those make a return. Um, I, I do want to say something about Riker. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the B-plot is very much a B-plot here, and, and I feel like the the two are very separated until you get to a moment where they can finally come together. So we don't get a lot of Riker in this, but boy, does Jonathan Frakes make the most of that reaction about the <laughs> alien baby. Yeah, he does. 
Just I'm not a, sure why it, why it pleased him quite as much as it did. Just a big goofy Riker grin. It's yeah. So, now was that was that when they said it was a baby, or was that when they said that he thinks we're its mother? It, that that was when they they said that Junior thinks that the Enterprise is its mother. Yeah. Yeah. He that, was that, that is that is the time where Riker that. would have like a big goofy grin like that. Right. Played. He loved, he he loves to play like for like three seconds. Mm-hmm. Like he hears something like that and he's like, that's awesome. Oh, wait, I'm first officer of the starship. <laughs> right, right. I, but I do love those moments because it's like you see like, wow, I can still be impressed. But mm-hmm. now I got to go back to being impressive. Um, speaking of impressing. Yeah. Should Jordy not warn the captain when he's taking the warp core offline? As the engineer, <laughs> it's his prerogative. Should yeah. he? There, there are things that I wonder about. Like, we don't always know what's happening on the bridge when we're down in engineering, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't know, for example, they may need to go to war very soon. Mm-hmm. I love it, like, towards the end where, where he's walking around, he's talking to Ensign What's-Her-Name down in engineering. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, this better happen or, or, or we're not going to get Junior off our back. And I just wanted her to go, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> because <laughs> she hasn't been privy to the whole junior thing, even right. if she knows that there's like a that there's a space whatever on the back of the Enterprise. By the way, I I did have a big goofy Riker grin myself when yeah. I thought, what if they can never get this off the back of the Enterprise? <laughs> and what if like five years from now, there's like a giant thing on the back of the Enterprise, and it pulls up next to an Excelsior class ship, and the Excelsior class ships over, and like you've you've uh, you got something right right there. No, other side. <laughs> like he doesn't even know. Okay, so I'm sorry, Jordy. All right, yeah, and yeah. warning the captain about taking uh, the whole thing offline. Luckily, when Picard wants to go to warp, there's radioactive interference. Right. So Jordy can say to the captain, uh, sorry, captain, there's too much interference, rather than saying, sorry, captain, I took the warp core offline to impress a girl. It looks like Jordy is in for a pessimistic message this week. Be careful what you wish for. So I kind of like to start with the B plot today because I feel like there maybe is more to talk about in the A plot. Okay. You know, there, there's, stuff I, I think, to, there's stuff to talk about in the B plot too, though. There is. Yeah. There is. But I, I think we need to kind of start backwards and, and work our way up to the A plot. Um, there's something about this uh, that I, I really love. I, I love that we have such a genuine, solemn reaction from Picard about killing the mother creature. Mm. You said so long ago, and, and you're absolutely right, that it's kind of redundant to keep talking about what a good actor Patrick Stewart is. Of course he is. And of course he's great in this role. And of course we can't picture the show without him. Um, but to just let the camera linger on his reaction without a lot of dialogue saying that they are upset, just feeling it at, at particularly the end of that commercial break or the beginning of that commercial break at the end of the act when that happens is incredibly powerful stuff. And that whole plot line about that creature, I feel like sums up so much about what Star Trek values, the opportunity to learn and discover the preciousness with which it sees life, our responsibility to our environment. All of those ideas are tied up in this plot line. His exact line at the, uh, at the moment that we come back, he says, we're out here to explore, to make contact with other life forms, to establish peaceful relations, but not to interfere and absolutely not to destroy. And yet look at what we have just done. Tremendous! It's a great line, and it's delivered fantastically by Patrick Stewart. And like I said, I feel like it says so much about the ideas and ideals of Star Trek. Um, now, Picard was actually going to go to his ready room mm-hmm. after this and take a moment. I, I imagine just take a moment to himself and leave everyone else on the bridge to do what exactly I don't know, to, to think about it themselves to speculate about his mental state I'm not exactly sure um, but but all of that was really interesting to speculate about mm-hmm. it was yeah. and he I mean and yes turning over control of the bridge to, to Riker I mean I, what did mm-hmm. I say in the recap it looks like Picard wants to quit yeah, I mean, yeah. it really, it really, you're right. It, it is redundant to keep saying what a good actor uh, Patrick Stewart is, but yeah, I really felt you know his hurt in that. Yeah, um, and I think I'm glad that 
they picked up the energy reading so that we didn't have to have him wallow in it too long. He actually right. said enough in right. that scene. He actually said enough with his acting in that scene as well. I mean, we know how, how bad this is going to be. Yeah. Or how bad this could have been for him had they not uh, been able to salvage it somehow. Of course, he may still have to come to grips with the fact that, oh, yeah, well, I did kill that thing. Oh, but there are others. There are at least four sure. more. <laughs> sure, right. So right. maybe it's not so bad. Here's the question that I have, though. Mm-hmm. And this is bad, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does Picard feel like he lived up to his responsibility in delivering the space baby without even taking a moment to look after it? I mean, he's gotten it out of the parent organism, and that's fantastic. It now has a much better chance of surviving. But I don't see how his work is even close to done on, on like, yeah. so many levels. And that's, okay, so we're a scientific expedition, mm-hmm. or we have a science team, and there's a baby one of these now, and we've never studied an adult one, but at least we have a baby one to study, so maybe we watch it for a little bit. Uh, but more than that, make sure the thing can eat, you know? Yeah. I mean, make yeah. sure it starts feeding, and if you have to watch it die while you're trying to figure out and failing to figure out how to make sure it survives, okay, you have to do that because you literally asked for it by making sure it could live, right? right? I mean, to demand right. that this thing be born and then to not think for a moment about what to do for it once it's actually born, you have not done anything, any favors at that point. I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about wildlife, but I think if a deer is born... Mm-hmm. It may be up and walking in a few hours, but it hangs out with its parent for quite a while, right? Right. Uh, whales spend years with their mother. Um, I hear that people actually spend a decent amount of time with their what? parents. I what? know. Some yeah. do. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just, I, I felt kind of weird about the fact that it, even Riker's like, we're leaving. And Picard's like, oh, we've done everything we can. Well, <laughs> based on what? Out of curiosity, yeah. based on what uh, do you say that? Um, maybe you can save your own conscious, conscience Excuse me, by saying, well, I, I did what I could. But I'm just, I was really surprised that he was like, ah, thank goodness that's fine. Got to go. Maybe the way that thing needs to live is, you know, the, the mother gives birth somewhere near an interesting looking planet and they just <laughs> wait for the next starship to come by. <laughs> To get all the energy they can off of that ship. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the way it has to survive. It was just very strange to me that there was absolutely no consideration of, okay, so what do we do now? I mean, seriously, had that thing not chased them and latched onto the ship, Mm -hmm. Picard's report would have been like, yeah, so we killed the mom, which is kind of a drag, but we let the kid be born, which is great, and... Then we left. Probably everything's fine. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, they are making at least a very big assumption that um, maybe there were more out there near enough by to come rescue it, uh, that maybe the mother had gone to that specific place to give birth to the young mm. because there was a reason for it that others would be there. But yeah, but they don't know. They don't know. And actually, I'm surprised that we heard very little out of Deanna this whole episode. Well, you yeah. Th- nobody asked her, like, do you feel anything? Do you get anything? Right. Is there any right. anything here? Yeah. Now, granted, it may have all been very obvious. It may have been her saying, oh, yeah, that, that's a mother. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, that's uh, the, the offspring. And, well, except and it wasn't obvious. It's not, until, it's not until they think they've killed it. Well, they have right. killed it. It's not until they pick up the, the smaller, weaker um, right. energy signature that they say that. So, I mean, if she had any feeling of it's feeling protective or it's feeling scared or anything, she kept it to herself. She did. But maybe she just doesn't feel it in the same way. I mean, they can't read Ferengi. No, it's not Ferengi. What can, what can they not read? Yeah, no Ferengi. Okay. Yeah. Beta Zed can't read Ferengi. So maybe she can't read this thing either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would help in your business dealings with them, which could be many. Yeah. Very true. All right. So let's talk about that a plot. Okay. Um, the the Jordy and Leah Brahms plot. Oh, that so, a plot. I'm sorry. That yeah. a plot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the fir- first off, we, we have to ask ourselves what what are the ethics around what Jordy has done and and is doing with this hologram? Um, very interesting idea that they introduced it so long ago, mm-hmm. uh, and then came back to give that story some payoff. I was asking myself, you know, is it his fault that he kind of sort of fell in love with this hologram, Dr. Brahms, which really is the Enterprise computer? Right. Didn't we actually talk about that possibility that the Enterprise computer is in love with Jordy? We did quite a bit. Yeah. And and should Dr. Brahms know that? 
<laughs> you know, seeing her intimate knowledge of the Enterprise and uh, and maybe knows a thing or two about the Enterprise computer, mm. or at least the way that Starfleet computers work. Um, she knows engines, you know, though. I don't think I don't think anybody's seen her around the Daystrom Institute. True. Very true. Very true. So that might be a long, difficult conversation to have no see it looks like you but it's not really you but yeah that that may not have gone very far but um i did wonder about that because there there is that other level there that it it is technically the enterprise computer creating that and living through that hologram um but but it certainly looks enough like leah brahms that jordy was able to fall in love with her it is his fault that he's behaving creepily. <laughs> um, but then if we're going to cut him any slack at all, we, we have to say that Jordy is the guy who from the beginning has had trouble with women. Yeah. It's kind of unfair that this whole plot line happened with Jordy. I kept thinking this would have been amazing with Wesley. Hmm. We got very little of the maturation of Wesley Crusher. Yeah. You know, because now we're done with them and he, he's 18 years old and going off to the academy. And we got a little bit of that with the Dauphin. Just yeah. a little taste of that. But it wasn't enough. Now, imagine if this plot line had introduced itself a year ago and then carried out had Wesley stayed around for another year or two. I think that would have been a fascinating thing because here's a, a, a kid who is actually trying to figure out what it means to be in love and date somebody to, to fall in love. With Jordy, it's a little more difficult because he is older, he is more mature, he is looked up to by a kid like Wesley. He is Data's best friend. They're, they're all kind of learning from him anyway. So I thought that that was uh, a missed opportunity. I don't know, though, because yeah. he's, a, he's a gearhead, right? I mean, he's sure. a nerd. Sure. He's an engineer. And I'm not saying that all engineers are that, but remember the problems that Scotty had with women? Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. until Star Trek V that he actually ends up with a girl yeah, and then everybody's like, back. yeah, no, that was wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go, right. go back, right. go back. No, I don't know. I mean, the problem with, and this is weird because we're doing something we don't normally do, which is trying to decide how an episode of Star Trek should have been written, like which character, whatever. Sure. If yeah. they had written it for Wesley, then it would have been written as puppy love. If they had written it for Wesley, then it would have been, still would have been written as a teenager, even though he's 18, especially if it happened a year ago, because it would have been 16 or 17 and it'd be, Oh, kids. I kind of like the fact that this is a full-grown man. This is an adult male who I don't want to say should know better because I don't know where we're going to end up on the whole whether he did anything wrong thing. Yeah. But he should be sort of clued into why somebody might not be overjoyed by, sure. by finding sure, herself sure. on the holodeck saying things like, yeah. when you touch that part of this thing, yeah, you're touching this part of this thing. You know what I mean? I mean, that's right, kind of right. – it, it, is, it is decidedly creepy. Well, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I, There's something about this that we can get to an extent. Uh, Jordy is an engineering nerd. He's thrown himself into his work. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. But he does actually seem to get along okay with everybody else anyway. Not um, women. I mean, he, he, has, well. <laughs> he has women friends, but the second he tries to date somebody, it just doesn't go well at all. Except for, uh, was it Henshaw? Yeah. Who was suddenly yeah. putting the moves on him, but I can't remember why that ended up not being a thing anymore. Yeah, that, that's an unfortunate thing that didn't play out. So we introduced some interesting ideas. At least we've got Guinan there to offer a little bit of guidance. And it, it is fun to hear talk about you know, the, the visor, no, the other visor. And, uh, and she has a, a pretty interesting provocative line here saying she's probably done the most horrific thing one person can do to another, not live up to their expectations. Mm -hmm. So it, it does put the onus on Jordy exactly where it belongs. Um, but to me... I think that the creepiest thing Jordy does for the whole episode mm -hmm. is not fantasizing about Leah or, mm -hmm. or even just having all of this personal information about her. Yeah, that, that's a little weird, but, but honestly, I think the creepiest thing here is the moment that he says, I offered you friendship and then makes her feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. 
that that hurts. I could not decide. And again, I think we still need to discuss whether or not what he did on the holodeck was right or wrong. I can't decide whether she is the victim of anything here, but the immediate thing I thought of was he is he's he's victimizing the victim. He's turning yeah. the victim into the bad guy. He's accusing the victim in this situation, and yeah, uh, she takes it. It reminded me yeah. of. Uh, I wish I had actually seen it now because I know enough to know that it should remind me of this, but I don't know enough to actually be able to draw parallels. The Taming of the Shrew leapt to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, which I read a little bit about just in preparing for this episode. And it turns out a lot of people have problems with the taming of the shrew. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and that kind of felt like what it was here. It's like, a, she comes in and she's an ice queen and then they, you know, they find a place to sort of meet intellectually and then finding a place to meet intellectually. They sort of actually seem to find a place to meet personally. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she finds out what she finds out now. I do have to ask about whether what he was doing on the holodeck was right or wrong. I mean, we've had the whole thing with Reg, Barkley, right? Yeah. Where Troy says, well, this is healthy. And then, of course, Troy sees herself and she's like, oh, this is not healthy. You know? Right. right. We all have... I mean, he got caught. I mean, this is sort of a terrible thing to say, but he got caught. We all have imaginations. We all... I have fallen in love with so many people I've never met. I have fallen in love with people I've barely met. You know, I mean, right. we our our imaginations run wild with us, or run away yeah. from us. Now, if I built a replica of someone that I fall in love with and started mm-hmm. carrying them around the house with me, that crosses the line into really freaking creepy. But if I could just call up a computer and say, "Hey, make one of those for me and have it follow me around the house," okay, well now that's creepy. But I'm I'm, I'm trying to figure out where the line is exactly because in your imagination. You can run away with people all day long. Sure. I mean, it, does this get creepy in the fact that he has these thoughts? Does it get creepy in the fact that these thoughts are made manifest, although making it manifest is as easy as, you know, Worf making Skeletor manifest to fight on the holodeck? Or or yeah. is the problem just that she found out? I, like I said, I think we have to give Jordy a little bit of slack here. Uh, you know, he came up with a brilliant idea to think his way out of a problem, mm-hmm. which was to use the resources he is given on the Enterprise mm-hmm. to 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 make it relatable. And, and and I get that. You know, when I learn something, I'm much better off learning from a person that I can talk to mm-hmm. and and physically work with rather than just reading a manual. Sure. So absolutely great. Now, maybe the Enterprise computer is a bit to blame here for adding on that layer of personal detail that Jordy asked for. Um, yeah, he did. That's but, true. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he asked for, for someone to be able to talk to, but the decision to make that maybe flirtatious was not necessarily his. To Jordy's credit, as far as we know, he has not been using that program since then. As far as maybe, we know. As far as we know, maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. I, I, I don't, you know, again, if he created a separate program where he's meeting with holographic Dr. Leah Brahms on the same set where Riker met Minuet. Yeah. Well, it, it, do we blame Riker? Well, I, I, I don't think we can there either. Well, there's literally you know, nothing to blame Riker for, though, because Minuet's yeah. not a person. I mean, Minuet is a construct. And it turns sure. out that it was being run by the binars, but I mean, it's sort of like the woman that Data was dancing with mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in uh, in Data's day. Yeah, there, there, there's no. I mean, she does say that she's been invaded, that she's been violated, and mm-hmm. I get why she feels that way. I'm trying to figure out if she actually has been. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a really tough gray area, and and like I said, I don't think the fact that he has done this or he has developed some misplaced feelings there. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think those are the things you can blame him for. I think what you can blame him for is how he reacts when she actually shows up and how he plays this out when he should know better. And then how he makes her feel awful by, like you said, victimizing the victim here. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, uh, those are all the terrible things about, uh, about what's happened. Otherwise, we just say, okay, LaForge is a step away from being Reg Barkley. 
which oh, man, he, he might be a step beyond Reg Barkley, honestly. <laughs> which really makes you reread that episode when LaForge is just, oh, this guy, he's terrible to work with. Yeah, granted, Reg isn't showing up for work, but what <laughs> Reg is doing in his own time is essentially what you're doing in your own time, okay? In fairness, so. though, I mean, Jordy actually cops to that with Reg. Mm, yeah, hey, true. I get, I get true. how the holodeck can be. I even fell in love there one time. Yeah. I mean, and it, he can only be talking about Leah Brahms, I think. Got to yeah. give props yeah. to the writers, by the way. This has been a thread that you didn't necessarily expect to come back, or you wouldn't have expected to come back. Like, I've always mm-hmm. known, like, from the time that we saw her um, earlier in the run, I've known that she was going to come back. But it wasn't necessarily a given that she was going to. And yet they have sort of dropped in every now and then. It's interesting how real... Uh, mm-hmm. Fantasy can be in the uh, in the twenty fourth century, and of course in real life as well. I mean, I said earlier, I fall in love with people I've never met before, and I stand by that statement. Well, it, it is an interesting idea to sort of uh, speculate to say, well, well, how will people meet and date in the twenty fourth century anyway? Particularly when you're on a starship and you've only got a thousand people, and you're away for years and years. We've already talked about how, in this workplace at least, they're very relaxed about any sort of um, non fraternization. You know, they they don't really seem to care. It's nobody's business. Right. Um, you know, I, I've had this discussion with friends relatively recently to say that, okay, maybe five or 10 years ago, well, let's just say five, but as of recording now, um, I feel like the idea that there were online dating sites and dating apps, it was treated as so weird mm-hmm. by, by the, the media at large. And I feel like now we've sort of arrived at a place where you almost have to say, well, well how else are you going to meet people? Of course, this is the way that me- people meet each other now, because you're you're either working or maybe you're hanging out with a small circle of friends. But it seems that the technology is going to uh, the technology and sort of the social interaction is going to they're both going to evolve to sort of meet each other. So maybe in the 24th century, this is a part of dating that you're meeting people at work and Maybe the holodeck can be used as a way to teach a little socialization. Seems a little weird to us, but maybe maybe there's something there. Well, if you were learning socialization, that would be one thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm I'm having trouble drawing a line between the two things that you're saying. Honestly. Mm, but enough. but go for it, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um I, I did wonder if there's another layer here about uh, Leah Brahms being a woman in the workplace, feeling like she has to be cold and humorless. And those were her words to say that, that, that she, she comes into a situation putting on this armor. And that's something that you kind of hear now about some women in the workplace feeling like they have to do this or else they'll get walked all over or so they won't have respect and that's something that I hoped would have changed by the 24th century. That, and maybe it just is her. It's yeah. not every woman in the 24th century. But I, I thought that was an interesting moment to have there because you kind of hoped that that wouldn't be the case. For me, it felt like this was a her thing. This was, mm-hmm. I mean, this goes back to Scotty and Jordy. I mean, they're all engineers. And I'm not, mm-hmm. look, it's not just about engineers. I know I have a friend who has written, he's actually written for film. And he doesn't write anymore. And the reason he doesn't write anymore is because when he would write, he went away. He like he would not mm-hmm. see people. He would not go out. There would be days where he wouldn't eat. He would, just wouldn't do anything but that. He became very work-focused. Mm. Um, this can be true of anybody for any number of reasons. So I'm not just saying you know nerds. I'm not just saying engineers. Um, she is she is very much about her work and is not so much comfortable with everything else. That was the feeling I got off this. There's sexism in this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is. Yeah, yeah. But I, I didn't feel like this was that. I felt like this was an engineer saying, you know what really makes me happy is tinkering with things. Or you know what really makes me happy is designing things or building things. What really makes me unhappy is people. Mm-hmm. I've been that. <laughs> yeah, right. Not the designing and building, but I mean, you know. It's not misanthropic even. It's just more like I'm comfortable with what I'm comfortable with and, 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 and people is not that. And so yeah. that was sort of the sense I got from that. I didn't feel like 
that was a sexist uh, thing in this episode. But there were others. <laughs> This episode makes me want ice cream. My Oklahoma people know exactly what I am talking about, and why. Galaxy's Child. It's kind of far out, man. Yeah, we talked a couple weeks ago, you and I, a few weeks ago, actually, about putting out playlists. Uh, Music playlists with every episode. Every time I talked about Galaxy's Child, all I've Mm -hmm. got is Moon Age Daydream. Moon Age Daydream is playing in my head over and over again all week long because I knew we were going to talk about Galaxy's Child. Yeah. So let's do that. Messages, morals, right. and meaning, sir. What are we doing? Actually, I guess we start with does this episode hold up, this uh, this yeah. Galaxy's Child episode? You know, it, it's always interesting to me when we get email from our listeners who um, – who have very strong feelings about a particular episode. And we've gone through a couple just recently where, you know, maybe you and I, uh, uh, we found that they weren't as favorite to us as mm-hmm. they are to other people. And, and people are, are sort of, you know, very indignant about it. They're like, no, how, how could you possibly not love this episode the same amount that I love an episode? And, and you know, th- those are interesting, but a lot of it's just subjective and doesn't, really matter you know i feel like this episode is one where we got a lot of preemptive email and commentary uh, of people just kind of tearing it apart just saying oh it's that one where jordy's a creep and he does this and well you're gonna have a tough time getting through this one and i think that there's a lot more to it than that I think this episode takes a lot of heat purely because of the discomfort we feel about and for Jordy. But I think, and again, this is fiction. It's perfectly fair to explore those ideas here and do it kind of to the depth that they do it here. Like I said, we can blame Jordy for a lot of things, but it, it. I, I think we do this episode a disservice if we just say, well, he's a creep. We don't like to see him as a creep, so let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot to mine there, and I think it makes for uh, for a pretty interesting A plot for this, uh, for this episode. And I think the B plot is very good, too. Um, the things that I responded to in it were the, the treatment of making this serious and intimate and that plays very well, primarily because of the acting, but I think the writing there is pretty good, too. So so overall, I was, you know, maybe my expectations had been lowered by reading what people were saying about it, but I think it all actually plays out pretty well. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't moments in it that make you question, <laughs> but but I think overall it plays out pretty well as an episode, and uh, and I think it holds up. So how about you? Um, my level of discomfort with this episode was so great the first time I watched it, because I, mm-hmm. I mean, not the first time I watched it, but the first time I watched it for this, mm-hmm. for us to do this, uh, that I hated it. Mm. Um, I hated the A plot. I hated the B plot. I hated the whole thing. I have been dreading this episode since the last time we met Leah on wow. the holodeck, right? Wow. Having to watch it more than one time, though, it's, it's, it's an okay episode. It might even be a good episode. I'm not sure because there's a lot of stuff in it that I disagree with, but it's a better episode than I remembered. Um, I certainly wouldn't blame anybody listening to Mission Log if they did not watch this episode getting ready Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for this because I just I was I was dreading watching it and I hated it as much as I thought I was going to hate it the first time I watched it. But having to watch it again, um, it's better. And so I would say, you know, watch it, have a snack and then watch it a second time. Your level of discomfort, because you've gone through the difficult part. And I think part of the reason it's so difficult is because I'm not the only person who's had a crush on somebody I didn't know. You're not the mm-hmm. only person who's done that. Uh, Jordy's not the only person who's done that. We have all been where Jordy is to an extent. Mm-hmm. We have all had our hearts broken, not because somebody broke our hearts, but because somebody turned out not to be who we thought they were going to be. Right. And you see Jordy walking into that and you're just like, I mean, it's like he left his journal laying out, you know, on, yeah, on, right, right. on the uh, what's what's that? Um, it, it, uh, not not Chiron Beta Prime. 
Oh, there's a, there's a song by Jonathan Colton where he's like, yeah, so I, I wrote an anonymous letter to a girl, and it turns out she's not as stupid as I thought, and so she knows it was me. I mean, we've all had these embarrassing moments, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. what makes it so so just absolutely uh, difficult to watch. Now, on second watching, there are other things that make it difficult to watch. Uh, Picard, sure. just like, you know, oh, oh, it's a baby. Yay! Lay it down and walk away. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Is that really what we're going to do? I still, I mean, I still don't know whether we decided what Jordy was doing on the holodeck was wrong, but definitely the way he treats Leah afterwards is wrong. Now, yes. you were writing this episode earlier saying if it had been Wesley, it would have been better. Here's how I would write this episode, as mm-hmm. long as we're going to do that. Because I think there's stuff here to be salvaged. They could have met on how weird they are with people. Hmm. He actually might have been able to say to her, I don't even want to look at you. I am so embarrassed. Right. Here is the one thing that I could say, and here's how it could happen, or how I, could, how I can say it happened. In fact, if you want to bring in the whole thing, how she should know how holodecks work and how the enterprise computer works mm-hmm. it could in, it even end up being sort of a weird praise of the work that she does but when he mm-hmm. says i've been nothing but nice to you okay and creepy but no no we're not even talking about creepy let's just talk about how nice i've been and you've been mean and then when she's like oh yeah you're right i was kind of a jerk no <laughs> you were mm-hmm. you and he was creepy and that, I don't know, if, again, I don't know if that's a sexist thing necessarily, except I couldn't help but think of The Taming of the Shrew at that point. Sure. Where it's like, sure. oh, this woman is, this woman is, she's got all kinds of ideas. <laughs> and we just need yeah. to bring her down a peg until we're friends. Um, that said, I mean, if you can ignore that part, which is difficult, I like the the almost intimacy that they have at the end. I mean, it it, it ends up in an okay place. I don't like how it got there. I don't like the fact that he calls her to the carpet for anything because honestly, she should have gone straight to the captain and complained. And the captain yeah. probably should have been yeah. like, okay, r- seriously, can we? Nobody on the holodeck for a few weeks, okay? Has anybody seen yeah. Barkley? <laughs> nobody on the holodeck for a few. I want you all to think about what you've done. It, but yeah, it's a better see, episode that, than I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's where, where I land on it too. That that ending scene should have actually occurred earlier, before Jordy dug himself further and further into that hole. Hmm. You know, because you you can't really just have the uh, the slap on the back and the smile and the freeze frame and run the credits. Except it shows redemption. That's the thing. I mean, it shows. I mean, in Act Five, when they're able to actually get past what what has happened. And they're able to actually start working together and they're able to actually meet back at that place. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it does show salvation. It does show redemption of the relationship. It does show redemption of, of Jordy's reprehensible behavior. Unfortunately, it's actually being presented to us as her recovering from her reprehensible behavior, which was not reprehensible at all. I would say that's the thing. She doesn't owe him an apology. No, she does not. Yeah, you know. So I, I, I think there was another way to play this out. Again, it is ridiculous that we would say, "Well, here's how it should have been written," you know. But and, um, and yet that actually speaks to how good the episode is because you and I don't usually do that. Uh, that's very true. Yeah, that's very. I mean, true. Th- there is there is actually a lot of wonderful here, wrapped mm-hmm. unfortunately in a couple of really bad messaging moments. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then let's talk about messages. Okay. So let's figure out what, what we actually can pull away from this. Um, I think, you know, to me, clearly there's the one about not confusing fantasy and reality. Sure. Mm-hmm. Of course that's there. And, and, and of course that's something that we have to do. It's not just for our love lives, but it's for many other places in our lives. Maybe, maybe a side note to that is don't meet your heroes, Mm. Doesn't that apply to everyone? Maybe to Star Trek fans, too. Um, I like meeting my heroes. Well, but sometimes you don't. Well, sometimes you don't, but sometimes you do. Well, sometimes you do. And in this case, (laughs) Jordy had this totally bizarre idea of who his hero or his object of affection was here. And that's, boy, he could have gone his whole life and not met her. And that would have been fine. Yeah. Um. And maybe for Leah, you know, don't walk in with a chip on your shoulder. Uh, everyone is here to learn. And she is she is causing a disservice to herself by putting on this armor. 
and by not hearing out Jordy to begin with. Now, now Jordy obviously is pushing this to a place that is wrong and uncomfortable, but if Leah Brahms is guilty of anything, it's not stopping for a moment to have a little human understanding early, early on to begin with. By the time Jordy has dug this so deep and, and he's acting like a jerk, like I said at the end, she doesn't owe him anything. She doesn't owe him an apology at all. But um, if there's anything to learn from her, it's, yeah, don't uh, don't come in like you own the place. <laughs> what about you? Um, there's no substitute for experience. Jordy knows Leah in theory. Leah knows mm-hmm. Starship Engines in theory. Mm-hmm. And both are great starting points, but both leave a lot to not know. Yeah. Um, at the same time, there's a necessary symbiosis uh, to what they're doing. I, I, I couldn't help thinking of when I worked in radio uh, and television. Um, talent and sales hate each other. I don't know if that's always true, but every place I ever worked, talent and sales, like they, they really had nothing good to say about the other. Mm-hmm. Um, each seemed to think that they could do the thing without the other one. And, you know, they've tried it in radio. Sales won, um, which is why nobody I know listens to radio anymore, because there's no personality to it. Um, it needed both, in my opinion, but that's, you know, my rant on radio, which we can do some other time. There's a real tension between Leah um, designing ships and Jordy living and working on ships, but obviously the two are necessary. And, of course, I mean, they they work better together. I mean, they're able to get out of... Whether it be holodeck Leah Brahms getting out of, you know, the problem they got out of before, or if it's, you know, the two the, the two real ones working together to get rid of uh to get rid of Galaxy's child. Um yeah. I mean once once they actually work together and go ahead and do that, then then things are better. So those are a couple of messages that I picked up. Uh despite yeah. the despite the Ooh, taming at the shoe part. <laughs> Fair enough. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Night Terrors. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at k-i-theory.com. Are you kidding me? They did not say it. Not even once. After months of this, they are not even going to say it once? Booty trap. 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 I have to do everything. And transmission. <laughs>